Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognize their continuing connection to land, waters, and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours, and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, but also getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. You can find the link to our playlist in the show notes. Welcome to episode 122. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Paul Kelly. The iconic Australian troubadour, after many years in records, has released his first holiday album, entitled Paul Kelly's Christmas Train. In today's episode, we're speaking with Paul about Christmas time at the Kelly household and what made him choose to record a holiday record. Here we go. Our guest today is an iconic singer and songwriter from Australia. Having entertained Australian audiences for over 40 years and releasing more than 27 studio records, he's just released his first collection of holiday songs and music. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Paul Kelly. Hello. Hi, Simon. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you, Paul. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. That's good. Thank you very much for, uh, for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Where are you? We're in Adelaide. Okay, my hometown. Well, I'm in Melbourne. Um, I'm trying to get to Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we might maybe get there in uh, January, so it's been too long. Well, please, whenever you're coming back, let us know. We'll make sure that the uh, the people do line the streets and give you a proper welcome. <laughs> now, uh, Paul, we are here to talk about your uh, your brand new record, Paul Kelly's Christmas Train, which is very exciting and um i wasn't going to start with this but now that we are kind of talking about adelaide i was wondering whether uh you were happy to discuss i guess your first initial memories of christmas and and those kind of family gatherings in adelaide well i come from a big family a big catholic family so christmas is a pretty important part of uh growing up uh there's eight of us kids and um, there's a big, big lead up to Christmas with because we celebrated Advent, which is um, the month before. Uh, my parents would put a, a little crib in the fireplace, an empty crib, and then um, we were encouraged to, and also a little bag of straw next to it. And um, the idea was to fill up that crib by Christmas Day. Anytime you did something. Uh, you know, good. If you did a good deed, or you denied yourself something like you say, oh, "I won't have ice cream tonight after, or dessert after dinner tonight," you can go and put a straw in the crib. Of course, you weren't supposed to draw attention to it, you know. <laughs> um, but you just uh, put straw in the crib. So that's so the idea that would fill up gradually. 
and on Christmas Day we wake up Christmas morning, I think, you know, the first thing we'd do, you know, we'd, we'd hang up the um, hang up hang up pillowcases uh, around uh, around the around the in the living room um, for that so. So the presents we'd go in them. I don't think we put them under the Christmas tree. They they went in pillowcases. Um, but yeah, the first thing we do, well, before even checking on the presents, I guess we'd go and check out the crib. And of course, there'd be a little stat, statue of uh, statuette of baby Jesus in there. So um, yeah, so it was very much around the Jesus and Mary story. And then we'd also um, on that starting from then that we would. My parents would put the three white little statues. This is sounding nuts. I know. <laughs> they weren't fanatics. They just, um, I just think it was sort of clever parenting, you know, and uh, making Christmas fun. But, but they would have uh, three little three little statuettes of the wise men would be on the mantelpiece somewhere, far away in the crib. And then over the next two weeks until January the 6th, which is the, the day of the Epiphany, when the Jesus revealed himself to the world. Uh, the three wise men would creep along. So that's every morning we get up and see, oh, where are the wise men? Oh, they moved. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> and they creep along and finally get to the crib by uh, Christmas Day. So, you know, that's, that's so I remember those sort of, that was sort of making uh, Christmas mysterious and exciting as a child. Uh, yeah. I was I was just going to say I think um, having grown up in a in a similar household maybe uh, only myself and my brother not as many siblings but I think that sometimes it's to help you know create that mystery of Christmas or the the almost like the magic of it. Oh yeah, very much contrib- contributes. And of course, the, the other thing is that it's it's you know is to observe how you know how pagan it is. You know. <laughs> it's, I mean, Catholic Catholicism is, you know, just a form of paganism, isn't it? You know, we we pray we pray pray to the saints, and um, uh, you know, we we believe that, uh, or we believe that the animals kneel at the kneel at the at the crib and on, at the manger on Christmas Day. And, um, it's it's very much more pagan than the other. Christian religions, I'd say, and that's probably what's well, more fun. <laughs> more fun. <laughs> I would agree with you on that point. Yes, <laughs> um, I remember you know, the priest and the Irish priest and the guy off to the races and you know <laughs> betting on the horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the album Paul Kelly's Christmas Train. One thing off the get go that I kind of really loved was the fact that. Um, it doesn't, I feel that you've kind of opened the doors. It's not just a Western Christmas album. I think that a lot of Christmas albums that you see are catered to a more Western um, society or just that traditional kind of Catholic Christmas, whereas you've you've really not catered but included a lot of different backgrounds and um I guess religions, everything else in this, which is um, which is a beautiful touch to this record. Was that kind of always a, a strong point in your mind to to be able to do that on the record for the record? Sorry, 
Uh, yeah, I've, I've always, I've, you know, I've always been interested in Christmas music over the years. My son and I used to do a radio show on Triple uh, R community radio station. We used to do a Christmas special. We did five years running, a uh, two-hour Christmas special. Um, it's about 15 years ago. And um, we, over that time, I started to develop, you know, probably or deepen my interest in Christmas songs and Christmas all kinds of Christmas music. And that's when I sort of started to realise there's so much great Christmas music out there, which often gets sort of uh, obscured by, well, well, there's just so much Christmas music out there full stop every year, you know, for pop artists put out a Christmas album or there's, there's, there's a Christmas albums with various artists and, you know, any, any, nearly any artist who's been around for a while would have done a Christmas song at some stage. So there, there is a heap of, heap of material out there. Um, it's just a matter of finding the good stuff, and there's lots and lots of good stuff. And you know, of course, there's a great choral tradition, religious tradition, classical music tradition. Um, so I wanted to, you know, uh, and a, a great pop, you know, pop music tradition. You know, with starting back with White Christmas, which was an unexpected hit back in the day, and that, that's when you know American pop songwriters realised, ah. Oh, Good <laughs> out of this, and then so it's become part of the you know the, what they call the golden age of American pop songwriting. Uh, all those all those writers uh, t- turn their hand to writing Christmas songs. So we have that great tradition as well, great folk tradition, classical, all you know, all across all the Catholic countries around the, the world and um, South America, calypso, reggae, and. So it's it's a very 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 diverse range of music related to Christmas, um, and then of course uh, I was aware of the 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 links between the Quran, um, you know, the Islamic links with the Christmas story that they they uh, honoured Jesus as a prophet, and that there was a whole chapter in, in the Quran devoted to Mary Mary and Jesus. So I thought we've got to represent that in some way. Um, and that's all I contacted Waleed Ali and, and we started talking about it. Uh, at first I, I was seeing if someone would sing. I knew there's a very rich tradition of people singing um, the Quran in Arabic, in, in the original Arabic. Um, uh, without it's, You never do it with music. It's, you know, it just has to be a, the human voice. Um, so I was seeing if someone might do that and speaking to Ali about that and he put he put me on this you know sort of um i guess an open question about whether that would be appropriate um you put me in touch with someone who who, who recites the quran sings it and who gave us some thought and then so and then i sort of gave him the context it's a christmas record you know most of the materials to do with yeah, there's pop, there's pop songs on there, there's, there's um, Christian songs on there and so on. They decided in the end no, it wouldn't, you know, wouldn't work um, for him, for, the, for this, you know, for him. He didn't didn't feel comfortable. So, um, but, but Wiley agreed to read an English translation. So that's we settled on that in the end. And I, I love how that turned out because it, it's got such a great voice, obviously, being a someone who uses his voice on, on radio and, and TV. But uh, it's got the quality of like someone reading a bedtime story. So I like the way that turned out. Um, 
while he'd reading those beautiful verses. And it wasn't just that it's from the Quran that, that made it interesting. I mean, that's interesting itself, and to me it's an obvious connection, but it's also uh, I been, I'm not that aware of many stories of the birth of Jesus that talk about the agony of childbirth. And that's, that's there in the, in the Quran in, the, in those verses when Mary is, is in terrible pain and leaning against the date palm tree and, you know, she wishes she, wishes she could die, that this could be all, all be over. Um, you know, we, I think the Christians tend to skip that bit. It's like, oh, the miracle, <laughs> Jesus was born. But, uh, anyway, you know, uh, um, Islam, Islam says, yeah, labor's hard. That was hard. So I feel that, yeah. That's, that's another reason, you know, why I really like that, those verses. 100%. It, um, I think there is a tendency to gloss over maybe some of the more realistic aspects of the, uh, the story, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the track that Wally does is incredible. It is, um, as you kind of said, it is almost like a bedtime story. It's very sonically very lush, um, and it is a gorgeous poem from part of the Quran. I know that... Um, Lior as well kind of sings a Hebrew prayer. You've got Marlon Williams doing, uh, he's doing Oh Holy Night in Maori, which I've put it somewhere, uh, Tapo Tepo. That's it, yeah. And that was, again, that was um, that was Marlon's idea to, to sing it in Maori. Um, I, I'd approach him about doing Oh Holy Night because I thought his voice would suit it. And when I and I contacted him and said, listen, would you be interested in singing A Holy Night from, from a Christmas record? He said, it's my favourite song. <laughs> it's like my favourite song, you know, not just favourite Christmas song. So, And then he suggest, he'd been singing it in choir since he was a kid and he suggested singing it in Tarao te- Māori. And, um, and then it was his idea to put a, put a, you know, to have a children's. He said, oh, well, maybe we should do, do it with a children's choir. So, and then he sent me a little phone demo, you know, really sort of raw phone demo of him singing it and then cutting, get, jumping to falsetto to imitate what he thought the choir might do. <laughs> it's one of my favourite recordings, you know, that I, <laughs> I've got on my phone. And that was, that was the sort of the blueprint for... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How we recorded it, we copied Marlon's little phone demo really, you know, as close as we could with all the speed ups and slow downs because you need them with the way the song goes. And then we did that sort of all together as the band and without, but without the vocal one. 
I was just sort of whispering to start of the line so um, <laughs> everyone would know where we were because we all play together so everything spills. But um, And then we sent it back to, to Marlon and then we have a real sort of piecemeal approach because we had to put the choir on later. But that's, yeah, that's, it's, it's not like, I guess a lot of this record, and I guess a lot of, um, you know, making art generally, you've got to be open to all those accidents or other people's great great ideas. So, yeah, it wasn't like I, I didn't say, you know, we're going to have this, a whole night has to be done this way. That was that was all Marlon. It is a beautiful track and I think it does suit his, um, it suits his voice as well, almost too beautifully. Oh, yeah. I think it might be my favourite. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but it has to be up there. It's one of my favourite tracks. He's he's got that. You know, he's such a well. You know, he he has sung classically as well. So he's got. It's not quite operatic, but it, but he's got that. He's somewhere between. You know, I guess like a Roy Orbison. Or, or yeah, the tone is uh, like a very an Elvis. Yeah, exactly. Bridges both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the guest list doesn't just include the gentlemen that we've discussed. There was um quite a lot of other incredible singers. We've got Casey Chambers, uh, Vicar and Linda Bull. Um, one of my favourites of the last few years, Emma Donovan. Uh, when you're having all these kind of people come in, how do you decide? Was it just that people that you'd always kind of I know you have a history with Vicar and Linda, but um, what was the the process of deciding who's coming on to guest or who might suit what song or or whatever the process is? Um, yeah, just uh, hunches, I guess, and um, Emma Donovan, yeah, that's another key key track for me. That's an astonishing performance. Um, I've worked with her. I've known her for a while. I really, you know, really like uh, her records, the, the music she's been putting out with the putbacks in recent times, you know, uh, Pink Skirt from... Uh, uh, second last, her second last record. She's put two out in a year. But uh, <laughs> that song for me is like my, I think my favourite song all year. Um, so I really wanted to work with her, um, and um, I knew the Staple Singers version of Virgin Mary had one child, and it was a, she was there was no other person in my mind for that song but but her. Um, you know, um, was that sort of that? deep earth voice so she was perfect for that so it was pretty obvious um vicar to sing christmas train that was to me like you know of course uh that's from, from a band called the bell race and they're kind of a raw garage soul band and i've always thought you know vicar could make a great solo record in that style so sent it to vicar she, she loved it uh linda doing baby please come home we've been doing that song live for a while at the end of the year shows um and so that was sort of you know a walk-up start um casey and i the first the very first time i met casey chambers was at the basement in sydney and, uh while i was playing her she, she was there and her dad and we ended up sort of hanging out after the show um playing music together and uh we played some living brothers songs we you know we, we both uh, discovered that we loved the Lubin brothers. Um, and 
the song The Friendly Beast is a song, and many people have done it, Johnny Cash, Bill Ives, but the Living Brothers version is uh, the you know, is the one I really love. And I thought Casey would be perfect for that. Um, Living Brothers do it as a duet, but we actually did it as a trio with Dan Kelly uh, singing. So it's got, we all sing all the way through, which is another thing I was, I was sort of pleased to be able to do in, in this record. And that's also with Alice Keith and Simon Nugent coming, that we've done some recording together uh, where we, we use the three voices all the way through. And to me that's very, that's kind of very Christmassy, you know, that the thing of no one's taking the lead. Um, people sing a lot and carols like everyone sings. Um, yeah. You know, people might find harmonies. Um, so I wanted to have that, that kind of, uh, that sort of uh, quite a few strong harmony songs on the record. I feel that, um, what was it? Silent Night, I think, is one of the best examples of what you've just said with the trio and the voices and everything just kind of blending in perfectly. The the track, is it a lap steel that's playing in the background as well? It's a pedal steel. Pedal steel. Um, um, again, it, it wasn't my idea. That was Simon Nugent said, you know, maybe we should get, uh, um, I know this guy, Shane Riley. He plays great guitar, great ukulele. And pedal steel. Maybe we should get him to help us with this song. We ended up getting, we ended up, he played everything on the track, Shane. He played, <laughs> I think, a nine on guitar, I think maybe two ukulele parts, and the, and the steel, and we just sang, uh, which is great. So you take the pressure off. But we cut it with, um, with Shane just playing the, the nylon, and, and we sang, and then Shane added, Shane added the other bits. Um, the other thing I like about that song was having uh, a German verse because the song was written in German. Originally, uh, yeah. And Alice, Alice lived and studied in Germany um, when she was younger, so she's fluent. So um, she she uh, coached Simon and me in the German verse and she took, she took the melody and we did the harmony. Uh, yeah, I like that one. It is, um, it is a gorgeous track. On the record, Paul. Um, I'd like to discuss, if, if, if allowed, um, I know that the Little Drummer Boy, it is on the record, but I know that it also, outside of the confines of the record, does, um, there's a little bit of a story or almost a little bit of a tension behind the Little Drummer Boy and the, the Kelly family in Victoria and Kelly family in Queensland. Is this correct? Uh, well, that's, that's a big, it's a big beat up. It's a big beat up. <laughs> uh, it's been a friendly rivalry for a while about that song. I think it all started off when, you know, uh, about arguments about, well, you know, when to come. There's, there's some odd bars in that song. Sometimes it's a three, three, four bar or four, four bar, where to start the singing or whether the singing comes right on the beat or just after. So it sort of grew out of that. And I think one year, we were, you know, I think the, Mel- the Melbourne part of the family recorded it on a phone and sent it up to the Brisbane Brisbane uh, album. I can't remember how it happens. Back in the mists of time. <laughs> I think we said, let's both record our versions of Little Drummer Boy and see who's the best. And, of course, the Queenslanders say theirs is the best and we say ours is the best. Um, but, uh, you know, and I don't think I don't think it'll ever be decided. 
<laughs> it's always nice to have a little bit of family rivalry at Christmas, and I think that it's um, yep. very wholesome that it's over uh, the little drummer boy as well. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the Melbourne, the Mel- we've got, we've sort of got the last word this year, so they might. I don't know. They might go quiet. To, to, to <laughs> you know, obviously, I, I only recorded the song. I recorded the song with my two the two siblings that live in Melbourne. And uh, and my children, and um, so yeah, all, all Melbourne based. So the little drummer boy on the record is is sort of the, you know the Melbourne the Melbourne version now. So they're gonna they've got to have their work cut out to try and help. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Because Linda in as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what's more, we've got Vicar and Linda. So take that. <laughs> With no disrespect to any of the Queensland Kelly family uh, who, who might not even be listening to this podcast, but um, you have to step up your game because I think the Melbourne uh, the Melbourne contingent have definitely uh, stepped up theirs this year. Yeah, step up, Queenslanders. Come on. <laughs> um, one thing I found out a little bit later uh, after listening to the record a few times, which I was very surprised at hearing, was you were considering at one point not to include what is now, I would say, a modern Christmas staple in How to Make Gravy, that that was almost not on the record at one point. Uh, that's right. Well, I actually hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it. I said, because, you know, it's, it's already out. But, yeah. But, um, yeah, just in the course of talking to people about the record and friends and um, and the band and people saying, what, you're not, you're not putting – how to make gravy on it? I said, well, I don't want to put a 25-year-old recording on there. Oh, just do it again. You play it live all the time. So we thought, well, we said, well, we'll just record it and see how it sounds. And then we can decide decide uh, whether we want to put it on the record or not. Um, so we played it in the studio. You know, we've we've been playing that song since it, since it came out. It's been a regular on the set, so it was really quick to record. Um, first or second take, and then, uh, yeah, thought, yeah, it's earned, it earned, earned its place on, on the record. It's it's twenty five years since it came out, so that's another nice reason to to uh, to record it again. One hundred percent, a bit of a celebration. Yeah. Have you found that over time people to approach you? Um, referencing gravy as like a Christmas tradition in their household or that it's part of their Christmas um, routine or? Uh, yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot of people bring it up. Um, and we have actually done a, a clip for the new version, sort of drawing on that. Um, it's, it's directed, or the idea was by Sean Darling, my partner, who also directed the clip. She's done a few few clips for me uh, over the years. And it's her idea to put a call out to through the social pages, see if anybody wanted to film themselves singing along to How to Make Gravy or doing something, you know, to it. And so the <laughs> big response. So the, <laughs> the clip is the film clip, which comes out, um, uh, when's it coming out? December the 10th. So there's a new film clip for How to Make Gravy, which is pretty much featuring, uh, uh, you know, people from all over the country and overseas uh, doing their thing, singing along. Uh, it's 
it's, uh, it's yeah, I really, I really like it. It's, it's funny and it's sad and all the good things. No, that's very exciting. I, I can only imagine there would have been quite the response to a, to be, to be involved in a project like that. Yeah, it was big. Paul, usually we would ask our guests uh, what they're currently listening to in terms of, um, you know, like uh, current records that they're loving. I feel that as it is Christmas time, if there's a, um, I know that obviously it's a little bit silly because a lot of it would have gone into this record, but whether you have some kind of favourite Christmas records yourself, whether you're a a Buble man or uh, there's Mariah Carey playing in your household or whether it is a little bit less... Um, traditional when it does come to to the weeks of the holidays. Um, there's a really great um, a, a compilation called "Where Where Will You Be on Christmas Day," which is a lot of so they've got a lot of old folk recordings. I always like to play that. Um, there's a great. Um, well, uh, it's sung in Spanish, but it's by a couple of Puerto Rican. New York uh, musicians, Willie Colon and uh, Hector Laveau. It's called Assault on Navadendo, which means Christmas assault. And I, yeah, it's really up to the dance record. That's that's really great to play. Uh, Phil Spector's Christmas Gift for You is, is a, a, always been a, a big favourite in the, all the artists on those songs, Darling Love and the, the Crystals and the, the Ronettes. Um yeah, the, the, there's a few. And um, also, you know, I've got a big Christmas playlist as well just on, you know, on my uh, laptop because I've been collecting Christmas songs for years. <laughs> uh, so, I'll, you know, just plug in the computer and, and, and play that too. So there's a, a lot of stuff out there. I hear Nora Jones has done a Christmas record this year. So I might check that out. I think that if, yeah, that sounds like a very exciting, uh, along with yours, I think they're the two exciting Christmas records this year, just as a, um, a point of difference or something that's just a little less pop and a little less, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything disparaging to the pop people, but yeah. uh, no, it is, um, Paul, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, congratulations on Paul Kelly's Christmas train again and, um, and Merry Christmas as well. Same to you. Thanks, Simon. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Paul Kelly for his time. Paul Kelly's Christmas Train is out now, and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy the record. We also want to give a huge shout-out to Miriam at EMI Music for helping out with today's interview. This was our last show for the year. We want to say a massive thank you to all the incredible publicists, managers, PR coordinators, artists, and anyone else who has helped make this podcast what it is over the last 12 months. We'll be back sometime in January, but until then, happy holidays and stay safe over the holiday break. Until next year, cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 